and conclusions. Questions to the Prime Minister, Adrian Bailey. Number one, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, this morning I have meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. In Bailey. Small businesses are essential to jobs in my constituency. They are suffering high raw material prices, high energy prices and in some cases reduced demand. Can my right honourable friend tell me what steps he's taken to ensure that the support that we've given to the banks is reflected in the support that banks give to small businesses during this difficult time. Well, my, my honourable friend is absolutely right. Central to the recovery of jobs is the resumption of lending by banks to businesses. And I discuss this as not only a national problem, but a problem in many countries with President Sarkozy when I met him last evening. We have all taken measures to recapitalise our banks and to ensure stability. We continue to work on increasing access to funding. Having recapitalised the banks, we want to ensure that they will extend availability of credit at competitive prices. Further announcements will be made tomorrow when we have a meeting with the banks. We are also considering new mechanisms by which, for example, the European Investment Bank can give financial support where traditional institutions are not able to do so. And we urge banks not to change the terms and charges for existing lending to small businesses in our country. The President and I also talked about the role of fiscal policy in the future. I've been discussing this with other leaders. It is right that fiscal policy support monetary policy at this time. If he he wants to help small business, he could start by cancelling his plan for putting up the small rate of corporation tax for small business. In the the last fortnight, we have learnt that housing repossessions are up 71%, unemployment is rising at its fastest rate for 17 years, and the economy is shrinking. Will he now finally admit that he did not abolish boom and bust? Mr Speaker, I have already told him we have had the longest period of growth in the history of this country. We have created three million jobs during that period of time. We have been able to double public investment in education, health and transport. And if we were to have taken his advice, we would not have nationalised Northern Rock. We would not have taken the action to deal with the problems of Ichbos and other banks in this country. And he would have loosened the regulation on banks at a time when everybody is saying to increase it. I am not going to take any advice from the Leader of the Opposition on these matters. How can the Prime Minister not admit that there is an economic bust when 120 homes are being repossessed every day and when the Bank of England says 1.2 million people are going to go into negative equity? If he can't admit what he got wrong in the past, why will anyone listen to him about the present or the future? Let me turn to his fiscal rules, which allowed him to pile up this huge borrowing in a boom. He said... He said that his fiscal rules were, and I quote, the basis on which I think people have seen this government as competent. He said, he said they were right for every stage of the economic cycle, and he absolutely guaranteed, that was the word he used, guaranteed he would not break them. Does he accept the fiscal rules are now dead? First of all, first of all, he, first of all I, I, think, I think the opposition should listen for a minute, because first of all... 
and maybe they will learn something. First of all, the cause of the crisis that we are facing started in the private banking sector, not with national governments. If he doesn't understand that, if he doesn't understand that that is the problem, he will not be able to come to a proper solution. Because the solution lies in recapitalising the banks, which relies in recapitalising the banks, and then ensuring that they start lending again. And if we could have a sensible debate about that across the floor of this House, and he removed the partisan way that he is doing it, as he promised, as he promised, as he promised to do. Mr. Speaker, he was the man who was going to end the punch and duty show. He was the man that was going to have a bipartisan approach. And as, as for the fiscal rules, we have met, we have met our fiscal rules. We have met them. We have met them in the last ten years. If I may, if I may remind them, borrowing has been one percent under the Labour government over these last ten years. It was three percent under the Conservative government. They broke the roof. We fixed it. The Prime Minister says there's plenty more. The, the Prime Minister says the Prime Minister says he wants us to listen. We've been listening for ten years about his fiscal rules. He stood there, he has stood there and lectured us about the brilliance of his fiscal rules. Why won't he now admit they're dead? Rule one, let's just remember, he used to be so proud of them, rule one was only borrow to invest, now he's having to borrow to pay for unemployment benefits. That rule is dead. Rule two, rule two was don't have debt, they don't like being reminded about their own fiscal rules. They used to enjoy the lectures so much. Rule two was don't have debt over 40% of national income. Even on his own fiddle figures, that rule is now dead. Why won't he admit that the rules failed to deliver responsibility in the good years and as soon as the bad times came, they collapsed completely? Yeah. Mr Speaker, can I just remind him what he said only a few days ago? But, Mr Speaker, it is important to the issue. He said, borrowing is inevitable. And you have to allow that to happen. These automatic stabilisers, as Keynes called them, those have to operate. Now he's saying with the Shadow Chancellor, the Shadow Chancellor said this morning in the newspaper that borrowing is the wrong approach. He said a few days ago it was the right approach. When will they get their act together and show that they have one coherent policy? He cannot tell us whether his fiscal rules are alive or dead or in some sort of suspended animation. We've established he's broken his fiscal rules. We've established he led the economy from boom to bust. Now let's look at what he's going to do about it. Does he agree with me that you cannot spend your way out of a recession? Mr Speaker, I just repeat what he said. Mr Speaker... If he, is not, if he has said that borrowing is inevitable, you have to allow that to happen, the automatic stabilisers have to operate, then that means we have to spend in a way that takes us through this economic crisis. If he doesn't understand what he said a few days ago, then perhaps his meetings with the Shadow Chancellor have not been about economics at all in the last few days. Minister, I asked the Prime Minister if he agreed with me whether you couldn't spend your way out of recession. Why didn't he just say yes? Because I've got a quote for him. 
It's something he said in 1997, not in some... Yes. Oh, it was ten years ago, so it doesn't count. Is that the new rule? This wasn't, this wasn't some off-the-cuff speech. This was at the Labour Party conference, the Labour Party conference as Chancellor of the Exchequer, and he said this, We have learnt from past mistakes. You cannot spend your way out of a recession. Isn't the truth, isn't the truth this? The Prime Minister has been going round telling everyone he's the new John Maynard Keynes with his plan for a spending splurge. Meanwhile, the pound has fallen further than in any previous devaluation and the Chancellor is having desperately to back off. So will he confirm, is he planning a spending splurge or not? Mr Speaker, I thought, and he's quoting Keynes, I, I, thought, I thought he said he supported... I thought he said he supported Keynes when the automatic stabilisers should work. Let me just remind him again where the Conservative Party is. The person who was shadowing for the, the, person who was shadowing for the shadow chancellors last week, he went on to one interview on the BBC and he said to increase borrowing to deal with an economic downturn, that's a perfectly sensible thing to do. And then a few minutes later, he also said increasing borrowing is not a strategy for dealing with the recession. Mr Speaker, they are nowhere on policy to deal with the problem. I know the new fiscal rule never answer the question. The fact is the Prime Minister has been caught red-handed. He spun a line about a spending splurge to try and look like he had a plan, but his Treasury Secretary Secretary said the government was just going to not increase spending but maintain spending. He's been caught irresponsibly spinning about irresponsible spending. Isn't the truth this? He hasn't got a plan, he's just got a giant overdraft. Isn't the case this? Thousands of people are losing their homes and their jobs because this Prime Minister's irresponsible boom has now turned to bust. Mr Speaker, the the thousands of people people in our country at the moment who are worried about their homes and worried about their jobs will want to know they have a government that is prepared to take the action that is necessary to deal with the problem. This Conservative Party says borrowing is the wrong approach. I say it is right to take the action that is necessary to take us through these difficulties. This party opposite has no policy. They are not prepared for government. They are not even prepared for opposition. I know that the Prime Minister has got a lot on his plate, but can I say to him I would like him to know about the outcome of the um, referendum in Stoke-on-Trent last Thursday, which, um, where the people voted to go ahead to have a leader and cabinet to run the council from next summer. In these difficult times, will he give the people of Stoke-on-Trent his assurance that his government will do everything he can to work in Stoke-on-Trent to draw a line and move forward and deal with all the economic issues we face? My honourable friend uh, has uh, spoken to me about these things on a number of occasions. I think it's right that all parties work together to come through these difficult times, and we will do whatever we can to help the industries of Stoke come through the difficult times they face. Nick Clegg. Speaker, Speaker, as we heard earlier, the Prime Minister doesn't seem to distinguish between good public spending and bad public spending. Just at the time 
when every penny of public money needs to be spent wisely, he wants to waste £13 billion on an NHS computer system which doesn't work, £12 billion on a surveillance database which will spy on everybody in the country, and billions more on ID cards. He could redirect all of that money to the things that people really need in a recession. Homes for hard-pressed families, good childcare so people can go out and look for work, and training for people who have lost their jobs. Mr Speaker, at a time when all British families are having to rethink their spending plans, isn't it time he thinks, rethinks his plans? Yeah. Mr Speaker, I don't recognise the figures that he's giving us, and I, I, think, I think the only figure that really matters in this debate is that the Liberal Party want to cut £20 billion out of public spending now. That would be the wrong cause for this country. Mr Speaker, this country is in much worse shape than I feared if it has a Prime Minister who can't tell the difference between redirecting public money and cutting public money. Grandiose plans for public spending might help in the long term, but what low- and middle-income families need right now is more money in their pockets. Now, why does he not have the courage to close, close the multi-billion pound tax loopholes that only benefit the wealthy? That way, he could deliver big tax cuts for people who desperately need help. It wouldn't require extra government spending or borrowing. It is fair, and it would be, and it would be good for the economy. Why won't the Prime Minister give people on ordinary incomes some of their money back? Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, we've been closing tax control every, every budget for the last 11 years. And what I would say to him also, we are putting an additional money, amount of money in the economy. 22 million people are getting a tax cut of £120. The winter allowance is going to be 250 for over 60s and £400 for over 80s. We're helping low-income families with the fuel bills. But he cannot wish away the policy that he announced at his conference. The policy he announced at his conference was to cut public spending by £20 billion. That is the wrong policy for this country at this time. Mr Speaker, last week in Blackpool I sat down with my further education college to discuss their £100 million government-funded redevelopment and hopes for higher education expansion, which are both key to Blackpool's regeneration. What can the Prime Minister now do to accelerate investment in such projects as part of his strategy to combat the economic downturn, as opposed to the opposition who haven't got a clue? Mr Speaker, we are continuing to spend uh, huge amounts of money on regeneration and education, and that, I may say, is the right thing to do, to prepare ourselves and to equip ourselves for the global challenge that that lies ahead. And it is also right that we raise the education leaving age to 18, to enable people who are in work at 16 and 17 to get skills one day a week, to enable people to get part-time learning as well as full-time learning, to give opportunity to all and not just to some. And I regret the fact that the Liberal Party and the Conservative Party seem to be for opportunity for some. We are for opportunity for all. Mr Speaker, in his first statement to this House after becoming Prime Minister, and in the Green Paper that accompanied that statement on the Constitution, the Prime Minister said he wanted to rebalance power between the Government and Parliament, and he said he wanted Parliament to have a greater ability to hold the government to account. Two weeks later, two weeks ago, the government announced that next year the House will sit for 128 days, the smallest number of sittings in a non-election year since the Second World War. Does he see any tension 
between those two propositions. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, uh, we, we, we moved power from the executive to the legislature. For example, the decisions about peace and war. For example, also the decisions about treaties. That's what I meant. If the House of Commons can do its business efficiently in 128 days, that's a rice course of action. Alison Seabank. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My right honourable friend is very aware of the anxiety felt by many small investors in IceSave. We all have constituents with their life savings there. Mine have told me that they're very anxious about developments. They're not being told very much, particularly about the structure of the scheme. Can he confirm, please, that progress is now being made with the compensation scheme and that investors will be kept advised? Uh, the, the Financial Services Authority has made an announcement about how they'll deal with the problems that are faced by UK retail investors in these Islandic banks. That statement was made uh, last week. I'm very happy to meet uh, the Honourable Member to talk about these issues. Philip Holleborn. Does the Prime Minister agree that it's an absolute disgrace for the Black Police Association, which has been in receipt of substantial public funds, to actively discourage black and Asian people from joining the Metropolitan Police? Well, Mr Speaker, we want to encourage more black and Asian people to join the police, and we will continue to do that. And obviously I'll look at what he says on the matter of the association, but it's important that the message goes out from all parties of this House that we want as many black and Asian uh, people to apply to join the police and to be recruited to the police. Linda Gilroy. A very large deployment of men and women serving in Afghanistan from Plymouth and the South West. What assurances can he offer them, their families and the House that the Government will continue to invest in the equipment that they need to match the professional skills and dedication which they bring to the very difficult job they do on our behalf? Well, well, my my honourable friend has done a great deal visiting Afghanistan and representing many of her constituents uh, in the area that she is the member for. Uh, and I believe that one of the issues in Afghanistan that we've had to deal with is the provision of uh, properly protected vehicles uh, for our armed forces. And I'm pleased today to be able to announce the planned investment of over £700 million to deliver new and improved protected vehicles to our armed forces, particularly in Afghanistan. We'll be buying 700 new vehicles, upgrading over 200 more. And in face of these new and developing threats, this will mean that our armed forces have the best practical protection for the work that they do, and I hope all sides of the House will favour this. Paul Holmes. Mr Speaker, yesterday, along with other Derbyshire MPs, I met with the Chief Constable of Derbyshire and the Police Authority. The Government, by its own admission, underfunds Derbyshire Police by £5 million a year. As a result, Derbyshire is the fourth lowest uh, funded police authority in the country and has the 14th lowest number of police officers per head of population. Will the Prime Minister order an inquiry into this travesty and will he ensure that the people of Derbyshire get the funding and the police numbers that his own government say they need to ensure public safety? I have to say to him there are more police in this decade than at any time in our history and there are more community support officers and this this has only been possible because we have doubled the budget on police in the last ten years. And we have not only more police, but crime has come down as a result of their visible presence on the streets. But I just have to tell them, we would not be able to afford the police services that we want in any part of the country if we took the advice of the Liberal leader to cut £20 billion out of public spending. Mr Speaker, is the Prime Minister aware that between July and September of this year, 
BP Oil Company made profits of £6.4 billion. Yes. Yes. This at a time yes. when many pensioners and poor vulnerable people in my constituency are suffering and wondering how they're going to pay to heat their homes this winter, is it not about time that the government introduced a windfall tax on companies such as BP? Mr Speaker, we we have applied a levy uh, to the utility companies to enable us to spend more on heating for pensioners and others in the winter months. The fact is, with oil prices coming down, they're now at $60, where they used to be $150. It is important now that these price, these price cuts in oil are passed on to all the customers. And, I, and I, have to, I have to say, we cannot take the advice of the Shadow Chancellor on this matter, who, re, who, resurfaced, who resurfaced or tried to resurface with a statement saying that the price of petrol should go down when his fuel duty stabiliser means, means that now, automatically, the price of petrol would be going up by five pence a litre. That, that, and, and, and he cannot deny it. And that's why people doubt the judgment of the Conservative Party. Mr Speaker, in 1976, the United Kingdom was humiliated when the last Labour government had to approach the IMF to be bailed out. Should... God forbid this Labour government similarly have to go to the IMF for a bailout. Would the Prime Minister resign? No. I think he should be remembering 1992 when the the Leader of the Opposition stood beside the then Chancellor of the Exchequer and having tried to put interest rates at 18% were unable to keep Britain in the ERM and that led to 3 million unemployment and that is... And that is the moment that they should be remembering. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure my right honourable friend will agree that uh, vulnerable workers should be free from exploitation, whatever the economic climate, and that will therefore join us on this side of the House in welcoming the adoption of the Temporary and Agency Workers Directive by the European Parliament last week. That follows two private members' bills in this House, my own and that of my honourable friend, the member for Ellesmere Port and Neston, who also pursued the issue. Could the Prime Minister now outline to the House how and when the directive will be implemented into UK law so it can be of benefit to up to a million such workers up and down the land. Mr Speaker, I think all sides of the House should remember that the CBI was also supportive of this arrangement and we will bring forward legislation in the next section of Parliament to implement it. As is usual in the practice with EU directives, there will be a detailed consultation on the UK implementation. But I think after the agreement that has been achieved across business uh, in the country, all sides of the House should be supporting the Agency Workers Directive. Yeah. Robinson, <coughs> would the Prime Minister join with me in welcoming the decision by the Army to organise a homecoming parade in the city of Belfast? Yeah. Would he recognise that the troops who have uh, performed so well and so bravely in Iraq and Afghanistan from Northern Ireland come from both sections? of our community. It becomes all the more preposterous the decision taken by Sinn Féin to run a counter-parade and protest which has heightened tensions in Northern Ireland as a whole. Would he join with me in urging people in Northern Ireland to ensure that we have a peaceful Sunday, that everyone has due respect for the role that has been played by our brave troops 
particularly in Iraq and Afghanistan, where I saw the role that they played in the reconstruction of Afghanistan and the work that they are doing in mentoring the Afghan army. Will he urge everyone to do nothing to drag us back to the bad old days? Mr Speaker, I want every Sunday to be a peaceful Sunday in Northern Ireland, and I want us to work together to make sure that we can undertake the remaining stages of devolution that makes possible uh, stability for the longer term. But I also agree with him that our troops, our armed forces, deserve the support of every community from which they come. And where there have been uh, parades in different uh, cities and towns of this country, not only have they been peaceful, but large numbers of people have turned out because they want to give support to our troops and show that they have the confidence of the British people. Uh, And I want that to be something that is a feature of our life in every part of the United Kingdom for many years to come. Colin Callan. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Uh, I know that in these difficult financial times we have to extract value for money wherever we can and difficult decisions will be made. But uh, we also face the threat of climate change, which puts extra demands on the economy and what government has to finance. Could I draw my right honourable friend's attention to my EDM 2351, uh, Climate Change and the UK's contribution to the Copernicus Satellite Programme. This is a very important scientific programme to monitor uh, the science of climate change and the impacts of climate change. So, would it be possible for myself and a small delegation of British scientists to meet with uh, the Prime Minister to discuss the importance of this programme to the UK economy? Well, I am very happy to do so, and I would say uh, that uh, I thought that climate change was an issue that every side of the House wanted to take action on. And we recognise the importance of understanding and monitoring climate change. No decision has yet been taken on the level of UK funding, but a final decision will be taken in advance of the ministerial meeting that takes place in late November. And I applaud uh, the member uh, for everything that he has done to raise these issues, both both, both, both the European Space Agency's programme and the work that he does on the environment. And I used to think the, the Tories supported a green policy, but now I'm not so sure. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister says that he wants a third runway at Heathrow. So why is it that uh, his ministers are now lobbying against this and yet remaining part of his government? Ah. Mr Mr. Singer, we said as a government that we supported in principle a third runway. After after all, there are five runways in Amsterdam, five runways in Paris, four in Frankfurt, uh, and we're talking about a third runway at Heathrow. But we said that we would look at all the environmental considerations, and that is what we're doing at the moment, and we will come back to the House in due course. This morning, along with other honourable members, I attended the David Black Awards, which is a celebration of the British pig industry and the Quality Pork Standard Charter Mark, which supports farmers who are committed to high animal welfare, quality control and traceability of their products. So does he share my concern that government procurement figures show that 76% of bacon products and 39% of pork products do not come from quality pork standard mark suppliers? So as he's helping out different sectors of industry at the moment, will he ensure procurement supports British farmers? Because if the government doesn't stand up for them, why should anybody else? I want to thank him for campaigning on behalf of the industry and everybody knows that British bacon is best. The Prime Minister will be aware of the widespread public concern about foreclosures on mortgage properties, particularly by banks like Northern Rock. But is he aware that uh, 
some of the other debts, which are unsecured debts, like those on store cards, are being purchased by debt factoring companies and who are then applying to the court for attachment to properties and then obtaining possession of those properties for trivial debt. Is that a correct interpretation of the law? And if it is, doesn't the law need to be changed? I, I am aware of the problem. We are looking into it, and I believe that changes will be needed in practice. Karen Bolt. Representatives of small businesses in my constituency are still contacting me to say that new loan arrangements that they are making are being refused by the banks or being agreed on harsher terms. Could my uh, right honourable friend assure me that he um, and his right honourable friend, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, will do what they can to ensure that the agreement with the banks is feeding through to small businesses? This is the, this is the central issue that has got to be dealt with in the next few days, that we have given liquidity to the banks we have recapitalised at the banks. Now we must have the resumption of lending by the banks. And if the resumption of lending can take place by making new decisions to do so, that is exactly what we will do. At the same, at the same time, we will look at other instruments by which banks uh, or financial institutions can give money to small businesses to increase their cash flow. So we will look at everything that is necessary so that further, further to the recapitalisation of the banks, we have the resumption of lending that is necessary. Dr. Richard Taylor. Mr. Speaker, I tried to phone Postwatch this morning to ask how to appeal against some of the post office closures in my area, only to find out that Postwatch was effectively ceased to exist before the consultation concluded. Is that fair? Mr. Speaker. I know that uh, in 44 cases, appeals that have been made against closures have been successful, so I will talk, I will talk to him about how he can direct his appeal. Um, on Monday, a family in my constituency almost lost their home as a result of a 3% increase in their mortgage fix, a bank that refused to negotiate and a judge that told them to get it over quickly. Will my right honourable friend re urgently redouble his efforts to make it clear to both banks and judges that we will intervene to safeguard homes and unlike the party opposite we will not allow our families to sink or swim. It, 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 is, it is precisely for the reasons that she's given that there has been a new instruction given by the judiciary that repossession is the last resort, not the first resort and that they must look at alternative means of funding and other means by which the mortgage can be paid over a longer period of time if necessary. So we have taken action on that that I hope will deal with some of the problems that are faced by people in the same situation as our constituents. We are also changing the level of uh, uh, time at which unemployment benefit can be supported by mortgage interest uh, repayment help, and that will be from January the 1st and that will be for people who have been unemployed for 13 weeks. So we are taking actions that are necessary, including from the beginning of January, buying up old houses on the market so that we can encourage the housing market to move forward. And I believe that we are taking the policy initiatives. They may shout from the other side, but they've got no policies. Come to the 10-minute rule motion. Could honourable members leave the chamber quietly, please?